You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. February 1954, Victoria, British Columbia. It was a cold and classically damp West Coast evening on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, as several of the final cars checking into the Empress Hotel made their arrival on Government Street. The grandiose French-inspired structure offering an escape from the ever-shifting rain and mist passing through the city. One of those arrivals, a young man and his wife, having little baggage, had checked in rather quickly and made their way to their room on the sixth floor. The sixth floor had experienced its share of darkness and a series of happenings that were indeed unknown to most checking in. As the couple stepped onto the elevator, the woman pressed the number six, and in a strange, simultaneous fashion, as the doors began to shut, the temperature began to cool. They nevertheless ventured to their room, not far from the elevator. But after unlocking the door and setting down their things, they were startled when they heard a sharp knocking at the door. The couple looked at one another and then back at the door. Who is it? asked the young man. But there was nothing but silence in return. He stepped towards the door, slowly unlocking and turning the knob. And as he opened the room door, every hair on his neck stood on end. A wave of ice-cold air washed over him, as he stared at a completely empty hallway. There was nothing there. Quickly closing the door and turning around, his wife looked at him puzzled. But before she could ask what he had seen, This time, he quickly leapt at the door, violently swinging it open. Standing before him was an old woman, her white dressing gown swirling around her as she gestured feebly away from him toward the hall, her lips moving as if to speak, yet she remained silent as she continued to stare straight at him with an expression he could only describe as frightened and confused. Taken aback and quite bewildered, the man gathered himself to address the woman in white. Yet before he could say anything, she began to move slowly away from the door, her presence seemingly lighting the dim hallway as she continued to gesture for him to follow her. The man's wife clutched to his side as he felt himself compelled to follow the woman, her gaze remaining on him as she glided further down the sixth-floor hallway until she paused at the doors that gave way to the elevator beyond. It was only here that it became apparent that the woman was not of this world. As she faded before the eyes of the bewildered couple before her, dissolving to leave them with nothing but the doors to the elevator, which opened inexplicably, despite the button never having been touched. There are indeed places where the veil between dimensions is much more thin and where we might find both human spirits, as well as other things. Places that we might call haunted, or at the very least, 
locations where apparitions and spirits continue to dwell and interact with those of the living. The Empress Hotel, located on Government Street in Victoria, BC, is one such place. Join us on Into the Portal as we keep the haunted Halloween vibes rolling, exploring the halls and rooms of the famous Empress Hotel, and review some memorable moments from this last season of Halloween entertainment. In Spectral BC, a haunted Halloween special. Hello, everyone. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Yeah, we are back and keeping the Halloween vibes rolling, right, Andrew? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, as the title implies, for sure. We weren't ready to give it up. We were like, we walked in midway through October leading up to Halloween to like Home Sense and a few other places, and it was already <laughs> just 100% Christmas decor. Mm-hmm. And it was depressing. So kind of, yeah. here's Into the Portal. We're keeping the spooky vibes rolling because that's how it should be. November is a dark, dreary, spooky month. I feel like Halloween should really be carried over into November for sure. It does have an interesting element of darkness, especially because just the landscape is so dark. Uh, obviously, the days are shorter. Yeah. Evening befalls us a lot sooner in the day. And Absolutely. there's no snow yet, so it's especially dark. Like, once the snow falls, then it gets all magical and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I am just shocked at how willing people are to frivolously frivolously is that the word yes carefreely just like just start chucking christmas around like they're just like two months i know well, actually no a month and a half i guess we're already and when 14th. is like american thanksgiving too like americans for all of our american listeners you have thanksgiving much closer to christmas than we do in canada yeah. so for people i mean some people i feel like they they just straight up skip like Thanksgiving decor, like that's just not a thing. <laughs> decor. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, you put up a turkey on the window. I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, we had some Thanksgiving decor. Really? Oh, I mean, that's, that's minimal. Minimal, special. I should say. I mean, in schools, you know, there's leaves up on the walls, the, the turkey, yeah, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I digress because we are already getting a little bit off track here. Welcome back, everyone. First things first, before we dive right into this spooky, creepy episode, we wanted to uh, welcome and also thank a couple of new patrons we have uh, of Into the Portal. Ben Matthews, thank you so much, buddy. Um, really appreciate it. It's just awesome. Yeah. It's, so yeah, thank you And so congratulations much. on your recent engagement there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. We also had uh, Christy Heiser. Thank you so much, Christy, for joining us on Patreon as well. And then also Jessica Edler. Uh, so the three of those guys have all joined us. <laughs> Or Elder. Sorry, oh my gosh, I butchered. I'm sorry, Jessica. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Jessica Elder, I should say. Oh my gosh. Classic Andrew mistake. So yeah, thank you guys all so much. November's been awesome on the Patreon. So we've got a couple bangers coming up here too. Mm-hmm. Monster Spiders. Amber's uh, always gives me weird looks whenever I say Monster <laughs> Spiders episode because it's like, 
people are weirded out by spiders, but we're bringing it to you. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're going full on Tremors style. Or no, Tremors with snakes. Worms, <laughs> what am I talking snakes. about? What was the giant spiders one? Oh, oh the hairy legged freaks. Eight legged freaks. Eight legged freaks with uh, yeah. oh, with the guy who plays Dewey from uh, from the Scream movies. Oh yeah. What's that guy's name again? Oh gosh. Gosh. And he was married to Monica from France. That's right. Yeah. Everyone out there listening is probably screaming the name at us. It'll pop back. <laughs> in It'll pop back. Okay. Let's get into this. So, like we said, we're keeping the Halloween vibes rolling for you guys. And a haunting just seemed fitting to keep that same feeling alive. So tonight we wanted to bring you a really classic case from a, a place that we know really well, Victoria, British Columbia, the capital of our home province here for Into the Portal. And it's a place that is indeed saturated with paranormal activity, events, darkness, and a lot of different haunted places. So yeah, perfect, perfect spot for mm-hmm. us to visit today. It's really cool, actually. I feel like a lot of people from that area in particular take a lot of pride in the type of, like, uh, haunted history they have. And it's really, you can do lots of walking tours, and there's lots of fun stuff going on there. Lots of history. It's to the extent where people actually have to sort of theorize, like, why are there so many different haunted houses, haunted hotels, Mm. different locations where, obviously, it's coastal, so there's definitely uh, ghost ship activity and, like, all kinds of different things like this. And we've actually covered a little bit of, of Victoria, Vancouver Island stuff as well. If you guys wanted to go back and listen to our Creepy Canada uh, series, I think we covered a um, true crime bit on that, if I remember correctly. But Amber's thinking, like, I can't remember. So Honestly, why are you asking I'm, me I'm right trying now? to <laughs> think about but that. But where I was going with that is, like, there's been <laughs> so much that's happened on Vancouver Island that people have all kinds of different theories as to why so many different ghosts apparitions, possibly elementals, are seen across Vancouver Island. Uh, and so here, here are a couple of them I wanted to get into. First off, I wrote it in this way. Amber was rolling her eyes at me because Vancouver Island is an ancient, magical place. <laughs> and I had to write it in that way because it is. If, if you've ever been there, it has this vibe of that with like the massive trees just being right on the coast, the sort of misty mountains. The indigenous peoples of the island have lived there for over 10,000 years. Their history stretches back to, and we know that it's home to creatures that we know so well, possibly like the Sasquatch, our our home province favorite. So it's definitely a weird place with a lot of weird stuff going on. (laughs) Here are some of the reasons why people think this happens in Victoria, though, why there is so much strangeness. There's something about the proximity to the ocean that seems to play into a lot of the theories with why paranormal energies are held there. The powers of the water, potentially the tides, even the salt content of the water itself is thought to play some sort of a part in the strange overall nature of the island and the feelings that are saturated there. Some people also speculate and believe that there's something to do with (coughs) ley lines, (laughs) (laughs) uh, to be extremely classic and cliche here, which we all know are these intersecting lines that can be sort of seen across the entire earth and some of them do indeed intersect beneath the outer limits of victoria and on the island where you know there's ideas of emitting powerful magnetic energies or forces where spirits may the the veil may be thinned i guess is one way you could think of it another reason why people think this place is so haunted and saturated is that like I said before, just the straight human occupation spanning well beyond nine, ten thousand 10,000 years. So there's so much history here. 
Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm getting at. Okay, there. So you've got you're teeing it up there. I'm teeing it up. The last thing I will say before we jump right into this here, Amber, is building off of the idea of surrounding salt water, mm-hmm. the bedrock of Vancouver Island and the mountains and hills in combination are also believed by some to almost wrap this area in sort of like a it's almost like a dome of paranormal energy, if you will, in some regards. It's like the and hey, you're into geology, and maybe that's something we'll touch on later in the episode. It's It's got all the fixins for things to be trapped there, potentially. Hmm. From, I, sorry, you mean because it's an island, or because... No, from the, the geological composition of the rock of the island, the salt content of the water, and all of these things contributing to different potential electromagnetic things, and just, it, it's, it's a different type of energy. Because no matter what the case, I'm glad I typed that in there, because that's a good segue from Andrew's <laughs> expressions right now. What? Victoria has more ghost stories associated with it than any other city in all of British Columbia, and is also definitely one of the most haunted places in Canada. One of those places is the Empress Hotel mm-hmm. in downtown Victoria. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're we're heading today. Yeah, yeah, we are going to be covering, yeah, this very impressive, like, multi-pronged sort of haunting story or narrative, I guess you could say, that spans mm-hmm. centuries. And not centuries, more like <laughs> a century. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, don't don't have to be so technical there because, I mean, you know, it's... Okay, whatever. Con- continue. Yeah. yeah. Well, the building itself, it is located in right in the heart of downtown Victoria on Government Street, and it faces the Inner Harbor, which is a very lovely little area. It was built in the early 1900s, between 1904 and 1908, and it opened for service in that year of 1908. So originally known as just the Empress, which is a very beautiful name. I love... It was a part of what's known as the Gilded Age, when there was a lot of a lot more detail and finery imposed upon the buildings. And uh, it was meant to impress and to sort of embody this era of neo-luxury, I guess, that was occurring because of the gold rush and because of various, you know, the the expansion of the the rail out west and that type of thing. And And this was all meant to sort of, sort of, yeah, just... the grandiose nature of it was meant to sort of just like bring that European charm to the new world kind of thing right. was the idea. They wanted to be European so bad. They really they, did. They really yeah. wanted it to feel like they were like they, cause the association was like, it's, it was lesser. If you're mm-hmm. a Commonwealth, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not of the high status. They, need yeah. to, they needed that reflected in the buildings, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a massive hotel. It's now known as the Fairmont Empress, which is kind of interesting. There's a lot of historic hotels that have a lot of hauntings associated with them and, and spirits and ghosts that are now in uh, the Fairmont sort of um company, I guess you yeah. call it, organization. Yes. I'm thinking particular the ones out in Banff and uh, Lake Louise and things yeah. like that. But this hotel has over 160, or sorry, 460, not 160, 460 well-appointed guest rooms and suites. Of course, many of these have magnificent views and there's all sorts of beautiful things going on. Like, you know, the grounds themselves are gorgeous. They've got gardens and all sorts of beautiful things. But it's also known to house a lot of paranormal activity. There's lots of strange energies, lots of apparitions, um, unexplained sort of like spectral ghosts that appear and disappear. Yeah, there's just, there's a lot of different points in the hotel's history where 
things play out and obviously add to the sort of haunted it does, yeah. haunted history of it. just keeps it. getting layered and layered and layered. It does, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was actually started at, I love this guy's name here, Cornelius Van Horn. He was actually the general manager of the CPR, so the Canadian Pacific Railway, and he was the one that started the project. It was at his behest. He had actually started a lot of hotels in the area at different points in the railway, and of, like I said, this was the height of the Gilded Age. So this was... Um, yeah, just a really incredible project. And uh, one of the architects or the main head architect will actually come into play later on in our episode. Mm-hmm. Will he not, Andrew, as one of these supposed entities? The hotel itself has gone through many stages of uh, renovations, repairs, and just general, obviously, um, uh, building in modernity into it as well. And notable additions were made pretty early on, uh, including in 1908. So it was basically the genesis of the hotel, as well as later on in the 1960s when they added a bunch of luxury suites into one of the towers there. Um, But yeah, let's get on to some of this spooky stuff because there are, I would say, I guess a handful of notable ghosts that do make the Empress their home in the afterlife. One of these is actually an unnamed woman. And she is known as the woman in the pajamas or the woman in the night robe. She's always appears at night, seemingly. But the story goes that back in the early 1900s, so this is back in the earliest stages of the hotel, uh, a single elderly woman had found herself to be a long-term resident of the hotel. And this, you know, happens to many people, even like uh, Nikola Tesla. He was, wasn't he staying in a hotel yeah, in New was. York for most of his uh the, the later part of years, his life, believe, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's not really that strange. It's not like I don't know. I don't know. I I can't imagine myself living in a hotel. But again, right, this what happened. I believe in Murdoch mysteries as well. Murdoch uh, for a time oh, yeah. lives in a hotel. Yeah, yeah, with, he does. Doctor Ogden. Yeah, once they get married, they like just live there as they're like. I think they were trying to build their own home, and then they end up just abandoning that project. (laughs) That's a serendipitous reference, I think, because it's sort of the similar era that we're working with for these stories here today. Mm -hmm. They're slightly earlier in the late 1800s. Yeah. They're 1890s in that show. Something like that. Going back to the woman in the pajamas, so. So this woman, who had been a long-term resident of the hotel, the hotel, she had her regular orderlies that would check in on her every evening. And on one particular evening, the orderly on duty went to check in on this poor old woman, only to find her expired of natural causes. So after her lifeless body was discovered, the hotel tried to go on with business as usual, you know. However, strange things started happening in that room. And due to the complaints, they actually stopped renting it out on a regular basis. This is actually according to a former employee by the name of Adams, who actually has his own tour company now, and he'll come into the story again later on. He goes on to say that it was because of this that the room was chosen uh, for the location of an elevator when they went to do some more renovations and additions, like I said, in the 1960s. But to this day, this old woman has been noted to knock on the doors of living guests, often late into the evenings. Guests have reported hearing a knock, and upon opening their door, they find the old woman outside, seemingly confused as to where her room is, gesturing without speaking, leading them to the very same elevator that used to be the entrance to her last abode. 
So they, and then she disappears in front of their eyes. Right. It's pretty spooky. I, and it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think like when she appears at first too, a lot of people say that she appears to be quite like mortal. Like she doesn't seem to be like that, like, you know, Ethereal. very like, yeah. So she's quite like stable, I would say as an entity. Solid. Like, mm-hmm. Looks like you could reach out and give her a high five kind of thing. Exactly. Because a lot of them don't really realize what's going on until she really disappears in front of them and it doesn't really you know obviously they're kind of confused as to why she's just kind of like there it also is it's curious as to why she's leading would would, would want people to to show people that is room. interesting yeah and it makes me think that maybe there's even more to the mystery than meets the eye you know what i mean maybe because she was murdered well, that's just it. Yeah. She's this elderly woman, unnamed. So you can't really get much as far as like maybe if she's living in a hotel like the Empress, you'd imagine she'd have some wealth behind her. I would imagine, especially if it was in the early, early part of the hotel's mm-hmm. life. Um, so in a, in a sense, it's like kind of mysterious. It's like, was there something that she's trying to... Yeah, she's trying to relay. She's It's a message from the afterlife, perhaps. Yeah, definitely seems that way. And it's obviously the idea of being <laughs> traveling up and down an elevator. I think of all the places in a hotel where you would maybe encounter something, the elevator might be one of the la- the last places you would want Ooh, that to yeah. happen just because of it being such a confined space compared to oh, your, gosh, the, room, the room you're in itself. Unless the feeling you're getting in the room you're in itself is like so bone chilling that you can't. That yeah. you can't even deal with it. I mean, I know we've had conversations with listeners on Facebook and stuff where they say they wouldn't mm-hmm. even stay in a hotel that has stories like this. Other people obviously go out of their way to stay in hotels that have stories like this to mm-hmm. try to just get that experience. I think you desperately need one of these experiences. <laughs> hey, what? Right? I want you to see a ghost. Maybe really? we should go to the Empress and possibly see this next, uh, the, the maid of Lizzie McGrath? Mm-hmm. Yes, poor old Lizzie. She is our next ghost. Poor old Lizzie. She was actually, like Andrew said, a maid who worked during, again, the more antiquated era of this hotel. And we don't really have a date for when she died. However, because of her antiquated black and white sort of classic maid uniform, a lot of people Mm -hmm. think it's from, again, the earlier stages of the hotel's life. And Lizzie actually lived on the sixth floor of the hotel where she worked. And at that time, it was common for employees to live on the premises of the hotel. So Lizzie had a nightly habit of saying her prayers on the fire escape outside of her room. However, one night when she went to go to her usual routine, the workers who had been in charge of renovations happening at the time had removed the fire escape. Unfortunately, due to the darkness of that particular evening, Lizzie didn't notice that as she climbed out of her window, and unfortunately, she plunged to her death right outside of the entrance of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Pretty gnarly. So she's actually seen many times just doing her normal duties as if she's still just going about her usual shift. Right. And you would imagine with a death as sudden as that, it makes sense to me that she would maybe even her ghost would think she's not even dead anymore. You know what I mean? Or not anymore, but just not dead, but just still almost stuck in a loop. Yeah. Kind of makes it seem like, um, people do actually see her as well. According to one ghost tour company, they do see her outside of the hotel on the steps where she 
right unfortunately passed away. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of different areas where you can spot Lizzie if you're lucky. And this is most likely, I guess. Just I I don't I don't want to skip ahead to um to the story from my our sister, personal encounter story. But yeah. this is likely. The, the the spirit of, of Lizzie McGrath that that uh, that comes up in. and she mm-hmm. was I believe an Irish immigrant from the very basic background I looked up on her so she would have been you know doing her write her nightly prayers out there she was a Catholic mm-hmm. and um, and quite young by by all accounts as well it's interesting because both her spirit and the spirit of the woman in the pajamas both uh, actually resided on the sixth floor. So uh-huh. is this kind of like a weird zone or whatever? What yeah, else happened on the sixth floor? I don't know. All I know is that it's gone through a lot of different changes. So maybe when they renovate, they kind of disturb stuff and kind of stir it up again, too. You have to imagine, like, you well, know what hey. I mean? Like, because even um, this wasn't on the sixth floor, but this, uh, I have another interesting, it wasn't, related to any particular ghost per se, although it could have been Lizzie, but there was also um, a, just a brief anecdote from that ghost tours guy that I mentioned. Uh, his Adams. name's John Adams. Yeah, yeah. And he actually worked at the hotel back in the 70s when he was a teenager. And his job was basically when he was hired, it was right after they had converted the old chambermaid rooms into executive offices. And his job was to go in and clean them after hours and that type of thing. He said there was quite a few times where he experienced, like, really strange things, like just, like, cold spots randomly yep. where they shouldn't be. Yep. Uh, just having, you know, just the, the hair on the back of your neck prick up. Just all sorts of weird feelings and totally. stuff. And so he, like, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about, like, if... That had recently been converted, so obviously there's renovations happening again, perhaps stirring the pot up again, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting that a lot of these spirits aren't nefarious, you know? They're just kind of there. That And that's where my interest lies with a lot of these stories of, like, hauntings, like, in situ. So, like, today mm-hmm. we're talking about the Empress Hotel. So, obviously, these first few, and including this next one, which definitely involves more nefarious activities mm-hmm, yeah. uh, or events i should say but in and of itself isn't necessarily like a poltergeist where it's grabbing at your hair or an no. elemental that's nudging you towards the edge of a of a 10-story window to go plummet into your death although mm-hmm. maybe you could make the argument of something like that happening to poor lizzie because it seems a little dubious that you wouldn't recognize that there isn't a fire escape directly beneath your feet when you're stepping out of what is presumably a room that is lit with candlelight or whatever else to see what you're doing maybe you're not just completely literally clutching her rosary though too so it's like hmm. maybe something was chasing her Hmm. who knows i don't know (laughs) yeah because doesn't that sound a lot like I mean, even, again, Andrew and his movie references, like, the film Friday the Nun, where she goes plummeting out of the top window, clutching her rosary, and, like, commits suicide to avoid being taken by the... That's definitely not what's happening, (laughs) but I'm just saying, it's like, (laughs) it's a little bit... "Ah, That's an accident. That's quite an accident. I mean, you literally just... There you go. That's Looney Tunes style. You know, there's a little bit of irony in that, too, you know. (laughs) We don't have to go there. (laughs) We we, we don't have to go there. But what I was going to say, though, it's like in situ hauntings or just places where spirits exist, does this layering, like as you said, it keeps building over years and years and years and more of these experiences or spirits trapped there or whatever you want to say, does this continue to thin a veil? Does this make it easier? Does the Empress Hotel Mm -hmm. now... you know, offer up, <laughs> you know, 
different sort of like gateways potentially and it's not just about these exact spirits and mm-hmm. that will actually tie into maybe our little film friday wrap up at the end yeah. of this episode as well but i think it's time to maybe talk about a mr francis rottenbury let's do it yeah he's a pretty intriguing fellow i'd say yeah so, or at least his story is maybe not him so much because he's kind of a you know. Kind of a dick. <laughs> a kind of a dick, uh, <laughs> as as reported in history. Yep. <laughs> but this guy, Francis Rattenbury, was the architect of the Empress Hotel and the architect of a number of other like famous sites across Canada. But he is rumored to haunt the hallways of the Empress, following different people, seen in various different sections of the hotel, and generally making people feel very uneasy. Mm-hmm. What his ultimate motivation is is completely up for debate, but he's continued to be seen to this day. And it's been happening for decades. He also designed uh, the Crystal Garden and the Parliament Buildings of Victoria, BC. He also designed the Vancouver Art Gallery, uh, a few different museums, the Hmm. Chateau Lake Louise, which Amber mentioned as well. That's interesting, actually. The Vancouver Art Gallery, that's actually going to have, what was it, the world, no, North America's most expensive renovation. Wow. Happening. It's going to be incredible. I think it was like billions or something insane i don't know it's a pretty epic building as it is and and you can tell from the style of that building if you've ever been to vancouver people listening uh the comparisons to the empress and like that what we're looking at today that gilded era type thing very much Mm -hmm. so this guy though he kind of scammed his way into being this like epic architect Hmm. he uh was only 25 when he won a bid to redesign the victoria parliament buildings but he's sort of like fudged fudged his credentials said that he was the um he was the apprentice of a famous architect henry lockwood who had actually died when rattenbury was just like a young child Hmm. he was a described as quote-unquote a chauvinistic self-promoter okay he was placing ads for himself in all kinds of different magazines and publications including the vancouver daily world where he did (laughs) publish this exact thing i mentioned where he said i trained under henry lockwood Hmm. very 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 easily refutable statement did it anyway didn't care he's just in it for the publicity he was very transparent by all accounts hey like Uh, (laughs) a lot of people kind of quickly figured him out and he was you know what I mean? Like that they type did, of did, but it's like by that point, he had almost already reached a certain level of credibility yeah. where he could get away with kind of being insane. He was hmm. a little bit of a, I guess you could still call him potentially like a creative genius, but he was known to be relentlessly controlling and he ended up costing a lot of his clients a bunch of extra money. He would order last minute changes to different plans. Hmm. He would reject materials that had already been purchased that he requested <laughs> in the first place, constantly clashing with his employers and other people on the jobs who were questioning the vision of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he also had this hilarious bad habit of underestimating everything he was doing Ooh. in order to win uh, bids for his commissions, which Yikes. is apparently what also happened with the empress hotel Mm -hmm. maybe that had something to do with uh more renovations being needed down the line i guess (laughs) potentially oh my goodness yeah because he ended up saddling contractors with a lot of extra bills and you know things that ended up forcing a lot of different companies to bankruptcy so this guy was definitely not short on enemies Mm -hmm. bad bad energy Yikes. You know, possibly people trying to curse the guy. Bad juju, hey? So from all we can gather here, Francis Rattenbury was basically a pretty unpleasant guy. Mm -hmm. And there was a historian by the name of Terry uh, Rakeston who quoted, I was quoted in 1977, saying that he was a character (laughs) received, he was a character who received universally bad reviews. (laughs) 
<laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's both in the United Kingdom thorough. and in Canada when he was working there. Two continents. Okay. Right. <laughs> now, back to his first contract here in BC, like with many of the you know fellow Grand Railroad hotels, he was employed and it was, it was at the request to make it, like Amber said, very mm. much European. And the Fairmont Empress was meant to serve wealthy businessmen, wealthy tourists, but nevertheless, Rattenbury had constructed this pretty epic hotel meant to resemble France's Loire Valley historic manor, and he succeeded in this. But shortly after, well, not shortly after its construction, but shortly after in his career, Rattenbury was met with a foul end and was brutally murdered by his second wife's lover, but not in Victoria, back in the UK in 1935. And here's the thing. Rattenbury was basically at this time going off the deep end, so to speak, in a few different ways, as far as I can gather. By around 1920, he was 53 years old. He was depressed. He was known, apparently, as the old rats by the neighborhood (laughs) children who would do everything in their power to avoid him. Kind of like a Mr. Scrooge type yeah. <laughs> type character in the... Even his own children didn't like him. His own children hated him. Yeah, and his he, wife hated him too. <laughs> his wife hated him too. And he, she definitely didn't like him after this because in 23, after winning a contract to design Victoria's Crystal Garden, he met a woman by the name of Alma Packenham. What a name. <laughs> I, hope, I wonder if she was into ham. Just packed full of it. But she was the piano p- player at the Empress Hotel, the one that he had designed. And they had began an affair. And he didn't care at all how public this affair was. And you can think of this like this is the 1920s when you're married and now officially publicly cheating on your wife. Mm-hmm. That doesn't look good. Like it doesn't look good now. It mm-hmm. really didn't look good in the 1920s. Um, so it was, was terrible. She like, brutal. you know what happened actually? Like I kind of looked into this and he brought his uh he brought his lover to live with them in the house and basically tried to force his wife out of the yes, house yes and caught like i think she ended up dying of disease or something shortly she after she died of cancer yeah so mm-hmm. she they would be having like drinking parties downstairs while she was like literally dying upstairs mm-hmm. and you're just like the guy was not a not a pleasant no. that's not that's not cool man no not cool no you had and some a, uh, bad karma coming your way i think Indeed. <laughs> and uh, that's that's definitely where things went. And, of course, the m- members of the community blamed him for the death of his wife yep. uh, before, before any of this stuff happened. Because a few years later, Francis Rattenbury would be dead. And this is how it went down. On the morning of March 23rd, 1935, Rattenbury was discovered in his living room back in the United Kingdom with gruesome, severe head injuries. He had sustained a series of blows with a carpenter's mallet. Now, these blows were hard and savage enough to completely remove the back of his skull. His false teeth had fallen out, and he didn't actually die from it. Mm -hmm. He was laying there, partially alive, and he only died four days later. So you can imagine how intense Yeah, that's brutal. His wife at the time second wife now, had confessed to the murder. But allegedly there was, well, not allegedly, his wife had confessed, but Stoner, 
who was uh, a young man who I guess was having an was it having she had, yeah he, had he he was her chauffeur and also the he was like nineteen years old and she was Super having young. an affair with him right <laughs> yeah and he after the fact had admitted to a housekeeper that he was the one who had actually carried out the murder and Alma Rattenberry were both charged uh, but and 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 Rattenberry Alma she confessed later on but then recanted it retracted her confession after her eldest son, Christopher, had visited her in prison and basically convinced her to to retract her original statement so that it could all be pinned on Stoner. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to find Poor his Stoner. first name here now because he definitely got manipulated into that. And it's like, what did Rattenbury do to Alma, too, to, to bring it to this? So George Percy Stoner was convicted and sentenced to death by hanging, which ended up being overturned and changed into a life sentence after there was a petition signed by over 300,000 people who felt that he had been manipulated into it, which Mm -hmm. definitely sounds like he was. Yeah, by all accounts, these were both very uh, dubious characters, I will say. Miserable individuals. Well, yeah, like I just said to Andrew, like, before we sat down to record here, like, it takes a certain kind of woman to move in on someone else's family. Woman break up, you know what I mean? And like, then also yeah. have him murdered with a carpenter's <laughs> mallet. That too. Like, of all the things, of all the blood, I mean... That's just, yeah. you're in for a mess. Like, no access to, like, even, like, a hunting rifle or something like that, you know? I like mean, some of the... It might have been a crime of opportunity, obviously. Or just a crime of passion, where she just got, she just, just really angry, and min- then... Yeah. Or or if it is the way that she, they actually said, where it was, it was Stoner that actually ended up, you know, doing it, then that means more so, like, it would have been a, a more of a setup and more... Right. Intentional, I'd imagine, but who knows? I mean, he would still be alive in prison today, presumably. Presumably, Pot- yeah. I wonder, yeah. It hmm. does continue to to stay fairly well. dark here as the story continues on because Alma was acquitted of anything after the fact, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. But it didn't really go much. <laughs> Things didn't improve for Alma because just a few days after this acquittal on June fourth, nineteen thirty-five, she committed suicide. And she did it in another strange way, a difficult way. She stabbed herself with a dagger six times in the chest, three of which apparently had penetrated directly the heart before she tumbled through her body off into the river Stour. Hmm. I mean... That's pretty... Dramatic much? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. That's That's some Shakespearean madness right there. You know, it's funny that we don't have her ghost haunting the Empress as well, hey? Like, playing the piano and all that You took the words right out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Because that's almost like... I mean that's 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 intense. It's it's like what demons were stalking her in the night? What what was going on in that chick's mind? Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly you had something in your head to be to hand over the mallet, mentally or meta- literally or metaphorically, to Stoner. But yes, then, uh... but then to do this. But regardless of the intent or the the dark forces kind of following these people, Rattenberry murdered in the UK seemed to find a way to return to the Empress Hotel in Victoria, B.C., because many guests see a man who is represented in typical period dress or garb, and he's seen on the staircase, (laughs) the lower lobby, and 
Adams, the historian and mm. former employee of the hotel who you've mentioned, mm-hmm. thinks that this is that of Francis Rattenbury, who is hoping to potentially cling on to like the only good thing he had in his life, which would have been no. the praise for his masterpiece of the Empress Hotel. Mm-hmm. Apparently, allegedly, he likes to hang around nearby where his portrait hangs in the hotel, too. So he's just looking for some credit. <laughs> so he's a huge egomaniac. Huge, yeah. Narcissist, possibly, most likely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Who, and it makes you wonder, if you go to these locations inside the hotel and start talking about Francis Rattenbury, Rattenbury if this would trigger his well, we gotta go. Presence. Gotta go and do it. We gotta book our stay at the Empress now. We clearly do. Yeah. The main question for me that that comes up when I when I hear this story is the question of transference, like how 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 this dislocation mm. can take place from where we have a violent murder in the United Kingdom, and then a spirit appearing in in a in a place that's landlocked, that's in situ. It's a building in Victoria, BC. It didn't know, happen hey? there. And it's, so it's like it's, in our physical world, it's like, wow, that's traveling across the pond. It's across an entire ocean to, to his most prized work. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. The pathways and the avenues of the of the spirit world or I, whatever. Yeah, and I think you, yeah, that's hitting on a really intriguing point. And I do think it has to do with something to do with memory and place and memory and that the energy that's stored within a place that people bring with them and I can only think of like you know like maybe other examples we could pull from would be like even like say I'm thinking of war stories of soldiers that are overseas say in world war one world war two that end up perishing on the battlefields only to appear to their loved ones on the other side of the ocean and like almost like in a farewell or like you know there's a lot of different stories about that type of thing from those two wars in particular I obviously have no <laughs> answers. No, what it really I, and, does, and no one would. Yeah, yeah. But then going back to what you're saying about the different, uh, the idea that even the geographic area of Victoria could lend itself to that type of thing, right? Perhaps, like you said, it's a combination. It's where a lot of Francis's memories would have been formed. A lot of maybe the happiest memories. You know what I mean? Right, and right. then him. It's just, yeah, it, it, like, run, it just run, obviously runs contrary to what we often talk about where it's like, here's a place where clearly an, a site is haunted or something bad happens here mm. where people go there because the event happened there yeah. and the energy is trapped yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And we've never covered it on the show, but I think we've mentioned it. The, the story of even like the, the downed uh, plane in the Everglades and then the parts being used on other airlines and then hauntings on those airlines because those physical objects yeah. had been saturated with the, in that moment, really quick, like lightning in a bottle energy of these souls basically Hmm, but in this case it's obviously maybe it's it's not quite that it's but 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 i guess what i'm wondering here speculating on is almost like i'm picturing it like literal spiritual highways because it's not as if like say you know francis rattenbury had a memory of something else he could just up and appear wherever he wanted i mean potentially or is it because victoria is in a place that has such a rich saturation of this that he was able to go back to his his beloved mm-hmm. Empress Hotel. And if it didn't happen to be there, maybe he wouldn't be able to pull it off. Maybe he'd yeah. be haunting the place he was murdered in, in the UK instead. Hmm. 
or something like that. I don't know. I know. It kind of does come back to various questions of like, is it the place? Is it the person? Is it an event? Like, what is it that causes people to see these things, right? Or is it certain individuals that are, you know what I mean, just more in tune? Yes. We kind of discussed that when we were having our conversation with that uh, ghost investigator, Stephen, uh, back, I think it was like literally a year ago, wasn't it? It was almost a year ago. Or even, yeah, more than that. And he... Again, he was talking about how some people can build these abilities up and you can become more aware, more in tune. And, you know, a lot of what he experienced in his field of work wasn't, it seems very similar to what we're discussing today as like Mm -hmm. opposed, like, I don't want to be like very like cliche where it's like all these spirits with unfinished business or whatever, but like, you know, just maybe these are individuals that have been caught in a loop, so to speak. And right. they're just, it does remind me of almost like a microfilm where it's just like on repeat almost. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like that kind is of, sort of one. And again, like that's one way of thinking about it. Like it's, yeah, it's like it's a the same reco- it's a recording, repetitive behaviors being repeated to different individuals. Right. Mm-hmm. What have we called that in the past? Like even when like, I don't know why I'm reminded of the um, Partridge Creek monster episode where it's like, it, it, like it's a memory, right? Like it's an a echo trapped, through time. A, 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 an echo through time. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it. And then there's also the side of it where it's like insidious, which we're going to talk about at the <laughs> end, where it's a little bit more direct, like ch- choices being made, things that aren't necessarily just time captures. It's a human spirit adjacent to something else, to something else, to something else. And the studying of these events you know, Rattenbury tra- traveling from the UK and existing at the fair at the Fairmont Empress is like the starting point of understanding like the layers of dimensionality here, like where spirits go, why we see them, why why we don't see some. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some are closer to us than others, and these sort of like layers of the onion of what, what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. All yeah, wherever these things are, yeah. All which, right. Which I think well, is the perfect segue into more ghosts. It's kind of cool. Yeah, we do have some more ghosts for you guys. And uh, just to wrap up the whole Rattenbury thing, too, uh, it's interesting. There's actually a play that surmises all the events we just talked about. Yeah. It's called yeah. Cause Celebre. Well, I don't, I'm not saying that right, but <laughs> maybe after we go to Paris, I'll be saying it right. <laughs> you, your last name is Bouchard, for God's sake. Yeah, that's like the Smith of Quebec. So, anyways, we got a quick True. promo break for you guys and then we're back with even more ghosts. Hey everyone, it's Andrew here from Into the Portal. I just wanted to take a moment to ask all of you listening if you've thought at all about your mental health over this past year. I know that I definitely have, and I know that it can be hard to make it a priority. But we're here at Into the Portal to encourage you guys to make mental health a part of regular health. It's like scheduled maintenance, like on your laptop or your car or going to the gym. They get tuned up, right? Well, we all need some mental health tune-ups from time to time. And that's where BetterHelp.com comes in. BetterHelp has hundreds of professional licensed therapists that you can access from anywhere in the world, getting matched up with someone specific to your needs and that's a best fit for you. Speaking of priorities, BetterHelp.com is much more affordable than traditional counseling. And here at in- Into the Portal, we can get you started off right. Visit BetterHelp.com portal and use promo code PORTAL, P-O-R-T-A-L, to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com. Text, phone, and video sessions whenever you need them, whenever works best for you. Get started today at betterhelp.com. 
All right, and we're back. Okay, so we've got a couple more ghosts here. And again, right, the, the ones that we discussed off the top here are, I would say, the three most central spirits or apparitions that people most commonly Like they're seen talk all about. the time. Like they're commonly yeah. seen. And the ones I'll mention right now are a little bit more on the periphery, I'd say, but they do deserve mention mm-hmm. because, yeah, they, they have been documented. They have been recorded in other ghost books as well, and uh, other historians do have their accounts. So right. there was one, it was actually an indigenous construction worker. They uh, allegedly were cited commonly on the sixth floor. So that, again, is another sixth floor connection. I don't actually have a date for when this this construction worker started appearing, but it might have been later on, I'm imagining, because, like I said, there's various uh, phases, and I know the 1960s was one of those phases where there's a lot happening. Right. There was also another construction worker who allegedly, the story goes, took his own life. And this happened during that phase of the 1960s renovations. And he is supposedly haunting what is now these luxury suites that used to be like a, a tower. Ah, uh, yes, so, yes, yes. yeah, and there was an interesting account again, yeah, that we have here. So basically, uh, during the 60s, there was a construction worker, and this is the Western Tower on the top floor, and while he was on a shift, he actually saw a shadowy form swinging above him from the ceiling. And when he went to investigate, he found nothing there. Later on, he found out that just a year ago, another employee had hung himself in the same spot. So that's pretty spooky. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Like, it's like, if, okay, and when you, okay, that is weird because it's like, what is happening with that apparition? Is it literally just trying to spook that person or is it? like dying over and over and over again like you mentioned these loops or the idea of like it's caught it's caught in it's a it's a recording or whatever it's Mm -hmm. like literally a recording of yourself being hung like over and over and over for all eternity trapped in between it's like that's so bizarre it is bizarre and it is weird because he's it it is you're right it's it's his death being repeated over again it's not as if he is going about his construction tasks. You know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, he did take his own life. So maybe that speaks to... It's just the never-ending message as to why or whatever, or just... Or maybe he's stuck in a purgatory. Like, they do say that could happen, potentially, if you do take your own life kind of thing. Yes, yes, indeed. I don't know. Yeah, it's a very... It's kind of a classic trope, too, if you think about it. The swinging figure, kind of like, you know, the... Big time. The, yeah. I feel like we've seen that in other examples. I can't think of any of them. Also, head, the shadowy description is interesting, too, because obviously a lot of these are very distinct. Like the lady going door to door. It's distinctly mm-hmm. a woman going door to door. Lizzie distinctly yeah. doing her maidly, ghostly duties. Interacting, too, with objects. Like the knocking on the doors. We'll get into a story. Yeah. Maybe we should get into this now because... Our uh, our sister Emily actually had a very interesting connection to this episode. Yes. And it was to the particular ghost of Lizzie McGrath, the uh, chambermaid that we mentioned. So this, yeah, like we said, a lot of the times Lizzie is seen just doing her regular duties, whether she's like carrying towels down a hall or she's got like, you know, her mop bucket or whatever, like, you know, just, just general things that a maid would be doing. Yeah. Um, 
interestingly, uh, Emily's boss actually stayed at the Empress Hotel. And this was like, I think in September or October. It was very recently. This was just this year. It was, yeah. We, so she was my telling, youngest sister. Just so Exactly, just yeah. So his youngest sister, who whose boss... Um, yeah, she's a she's a very interesting lady herself. But yes. yeah, so she was staying there with her husband and on the sixth floor. On the sixth floor. On the sixth floor. And she had an unexplainable event occur in the bathroom of her room. And her story goes that she laid out a bath mat before she went to have a shower in the hotel bathroom. When she got out of the shower, the entire shower, she didn't notice anything as far as I'm aware. There's no weirdness, no nothing. No. As soon as she got out of the shower she noticed right away that there was not one, but two bath mats carefully laid out. And yes, I'll say careful, and it, because it was flat. We actually saw pictures of it. She, like, sent Emily pictures that she showed us. But And it was on the floor. They were aligned, like, slightly off from one another, but it's not as if it was just, like, a bath mat that fell or something. Or, no, you know, it was, it was very there. clearly placed there. And she never actually saw the maid... But she obviously asked her husband if he had been in there and had put this down. And he swore he had never touched the mats or saw anything himself. Mm -hmm. So that is very, very intriguing. Could you imagine? Like it, it, it's And it's obviously so benign and just so simple. But mm -hmm. it's like you get out and clearly something's been moved. And that's something we talk, we did yeah. talk about with um, Stephen Williams in our ghost investigation mm. interview. Where it is this intangible like unexplainable thing where we're clearly looking at a physical object here in our mm -hmm. world if you will it's like it's a bath mat it's it's made out of whatever it's made out of we can touch it we can move it what is the source of energy or what type of energy would be being used by a spirit specter elemental other thing to physically move an object in our space because mm -hmm. there's like presumably real tangible physics at work here that we could try to calculate but then also you get to a certain point and then it's intangible and you can't you can't make sense of it but it's like that's where again this notion of the veil right clearly this is something that isn't here but it's manipulating things that are and it's almost like i'm it's like looking it's like a two-way mirror or something right or like look or looking into water you put your hand through the water and you've crossed over mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's so hard yet so easy or something. And it's just places like the Empress where clearly it's easier for that to mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? It kind of reminds me of that other, is it the St. Mary, that haunted ship? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was yeah. A, one of the earliest Astonishing Legends episodes yeah, covered that. that's totally what I'm thinking of. And they had a personal story from a friend of theirs. Yes. They came on to interview. Yeah. And it was very much, but they actually saw the person. And it was they like in a mirror. Yeah. And it was like very like, they obviously didn't do anything, but it was very spooky. Like That's the kind of thing, it's like, if we went and stayed somewhere and we physically saw individuals that were clearly spirits, Yeah, I mean, I think we would stay the night. I don't know if we, I would sleep much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how, how impacted do you think you would be by that? And I, I truly We'd have want, to do like an all-nighter, uh, just like stay up. To, and just have like, to. Yeah. Maybe pull up the Ouija board. <gasps> See, this is exactly why <laughs> I always say no to that, though. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't necessarily know who you're talking to. No, that's exactly it. And that could be something a little more insidious than these particular folk. Oh, is that a perfect transition into <laughs> the the latter stages of this episode? Do you want to move into a bit of a Halloween roundup? Let's do it. Because we had a lot of fun films that we watched over the course of the month of October. 
all geared towards, you know, like horror and the supernatural and all that kind of stuff. Of course. So, of course, we wanted to mention just a few of our favorites, I guess. And well, actually, we have one that we didn't really enjoy too much that we will mention, but we're not going to get too far into that. No, one, no, no. <laughs> we won't get too far into that. I, I did. I think, yeah, let's just segue right into Insidious because it obviously it ties in perfectly to the things we've been we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. So Insidious Chapter 1, there's obviously a few different chapters of this franchise, yep. which is featuring the actor who I cannot remember his name, but he seems to be in every single ghost oh, franchise know. ever in the history of time. And then Rose Byrne, yeah, she's the other main one. Right? But the fascinating idea about this, this well, this this film, this, this story that I've been repeating throughout this episode here is this idea of, like, multiple entities, multiple realms... And multiple ways of, like, crossing into those places. So, like, in Insidious, obviously, it's basically, like, the this young kid is... He thinks he's dreaming, but he's actually doing astral projection. Yeah. And he is moving between realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, dimensions. Yeah. And while he's doing that, he's encountering seeing both human spirits, but also other entities. Mm-hmm. And we're used to referencing these types of things as, like, quote-unquote demonic entities. Like, usually in the context of, like, whatever, like a Christian fable or a classic monster or, like, a exorcism-type event or whatever, right? But clearly in this film, it's featuring things that are, like, halfway between. If you're a Christian, it is that. If you're not, it's clearly something else. It's, like, the elemental from Lep Castle. It's just... An entity. It's just dark forces, dark right? energy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And what that is, completely up for speculation. But that I I, I quite enjoyed that notion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. We haven't even fully wrapped up that uh, that series. Hey, that whole franchise. We only got halfway through with parts one and two. I pff, yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit to go there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this sort of ties in a little bit to like what we've talked about today. The idea of like spirit transference. The ability to travel as non like a non-physical entity. So Rattenbury winding up like constantly being seen at the hotel, even though he was not his energy expansion when he was murdered wouldn't have happened anywhere close to that. Yeah. Yet he's there. Mm-hmm. So and, and like I said, it runs contrary to the other things we reference where it's like a murder, a haunting, haunted house. It all happened there. Makes sense, right? Yeah. So it's different. Yeah, I know, totally. They seem to be able to move in this, like, liminal world, so to speak, is kind of how I describe it, hey? Yeah. I I can't actually remember what the old lady refers to it as. She had, like, a special name for it in the movie. Oh, yeah, what was it? But Uh she, it was basically, yeah, that, like, the liminal in-between space where you're not quite in hell, but you're not in the world of the living. You're in the world of the dead, so to speak, in the world of the spirits. and Purgatory-ish. Purgatory-ish. And in that film series, I thought it was interesting because they had to... They ha- they're attracted to the living energy and they need that to kind of act as a conduit for them mm-hmm. to get back into this world, which is why he was such a vulnerable subject, right? Because he was doing all these astral projections, which means he's, he's basically leaving his physical body, yeah. which means it's an empty vessel for something else to take over. Yeah. And that's what we essentially get by the end of the first movie. We get a transference, not with the boy, but with his dad. Yes. Where, well, I guess with both of them, because he was technically kind of like taken over or he wasn't really fully taken over, but he was in that state, that comatose kind of in-between state yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 
And one of the freakiest lines from that whole movie that I always remember is from his brother when he says, when he looks over, he's in his bed and it gives me shivers just thinking about him. He's like, I don't like it when he moves around at night. And it's like, he's literally supposed to be in a coma state. And you're like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> I'm getting shivers just thinking about that, but it's fascinating. Just questions <clears throat> of mind body dualism too. Right? Yeah, exactly. Going back to that, the idea of being able to separate those two elements and the idea of spirits latching onto that as their entrance way, their gateway, right? So to speak. But with these spirits that we're seeing in the hotel that we just talked about, that example, yeah. They don't really seem to be actively pursuing that, so no, to speak. You know no. what I mean? It's almost as if they do remind me very much of the Partridge Creek monster where it just feels like echoes just on repeat kind of thing, you know? Yeah. like uh, very, This is very much more, like like, like name says, insidious. It's very much more like... Insidious. Very, that's, yeah. I- indeed. The very definition of the word. <laughs> it, but it makes me wonder then, too, though. It's like, would a... Would a and again, we're talking about a film, but we're also using it as like a, a prop up of questions for what we've discussed today. It's like, would some of these spirits that, say, occupy the Empress Hotel be just sort of within the first or second door in a series of never-ending doors that descend deeper and deeper and deeper into something that clearly is whatever darkness, I'm air-quoting here, as we perceive... And that's why we can see them at the hotel. It's just like the first layer. Mm. And then if you, like, what I wonder what they're able to perceive. Like, if it's not yeah. just a time loop or it's not just a recording, which it might be for, say, Lizzie, who fell out the window. Mm-hmm. And it's just this constant loop for her. She's still cleaning. She doesn't know. And it's just this over and over and over again. Or the woman in the pajamas that's just confused because her room's no longer there. And she's like, I'm right. still here, though. But <laughs> Where's I'm trying, my room? Yeah, she, like, and she's clearly, like, asking for help to find her room or yeah, whatever, yeah. Right? Whereas with, like, Francis, he he went from one place to the next. I wonder if there would be a higher likelihood of being able to contact Rattenbury. Like, to have an actual Ugh, conversation. Like, you'd want to. That guy's awful. You wouldn't want to for pleasantries, but you might want to for for the, the interest <laughs> Sheer information. <laughs> Fill us in. Give us the scoop. And now, right? yeah, yeah, that would be... I don't know, though. I feel like he would be one of those ones where you wouldn't really want to bring him back. No, you wouldn't want to bring him back at all. Definitely not. He kind of reminds me of, oh, it wasn't Insidious, but it was the other. Is it the Conjuring series where there's the one movie in that franchise where there's the old man in the chair and then he ends up being something entirely different from that? It's like a disguise. Yes, it was like the spirit of that old man was being, it was like a spirit possession. It was like a demonic entity possessing the spirit of the old man in the house in the UK. For disguise, yeah. That was when they were were in the... Oh, was it the Einfield one? I think it may have been. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I'm getting a little bit lost here. We're talking about Insidious. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that I loved about that idea of these these things being just dark, darkness incarnate, like they can, she, like the, uh, it, it manifested as this weird old lady that almost looks like a witch with like a black veil mm-hmm. over her face kind of thing. And it's like human-ish, but like all crooked nosy and like just creepy looking. Like that was the dad's fear like that's what he had seen when he was a kid and then he's like yelling at it mm-hmm. in the mirror or whatever and it's like that's that's fear to him but clearly these entities could look like whatever they want which then again it's just like back to the lampton worm episode it's Ooh. like if you're scared of dragons why couldn't these things manifest is, in non-human well, forms too is it that they appear in whatever form they want or these are multiple entities because there's the man with the red face in that one too and that was different right those were right. those are two distinct entities. Right. So it's not as if they're and like they're different. 
Well, yeah. Yeah. So it's not as if they're constantly, but you're, I don't know if you're touching on just the idea of like, they're presenting themselves in a certain yeah, way. Yeah. Just presenting themselves. How fascinating was that too? The red faced demon thing when it descent, when they go and he rescues his son and mm-hmm. it's basically like a classic, like it reminded me of like tenacious D like when they battled the devil at the end of the movie, like the guitar <laughs> battle or whatever. It's literally like the classic layer. He's like up in a window above looking out over his little dungeon area below. He's got, like, items mm-hmm. in there, and it's, like, his little cave shack of darkness. <laughs> his cave shack of darkness. Not a love shack. <laughs> cave shack of darkness. I feel like the that B-52s needs to be... The weren't playing in there. <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cave shack of darkness. <laughs> it's like a cave and a shack. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how you'd actually... Uh, if Into the Portal that. ever does a and b maybe we'll have a unit that's called the cave shack of darkness. <laughs> yeah. It's themed after... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, getting back to the whole Insidious franchise, that was the first... Do you want to talk about the second one more so in particular then? Because, like, yeah. it's interesting, the progression of the, what are we going to call them, the entities, the dark entities into the living world, so Mm -hmm. to speak, because in the first one, we don't really get to see too much of that because he's, the kid's in a coma state for basically the whole movie. It's just the very end when he starts to come to life and there's this whole crazy scene kind of shindig thing. But but it's really intriguing because... We get the cliffhanger, right, at the end mm. of the first one with the dad, but we don't really fully understand what's taken place until the second film picks up. Yeah. And we start to realize that in a very convincing way, I'll say, for the most part, this demon thing is able to pass yeah. for him. Like, for most of the movie, there's only, like, a few little, like, moments where, where Rose Burns' character is kind of like, uh, what? And yeah. then ob- the most obvious one was the, the nail on the head was when he can't recognize the song that yeah. she wrote for him yeah. and that type of thing. But it's weird to me how how good it was. You know what I mean? How convincing. Yeah. I feel like there should have been in my mind, there should have been a little bit more, and maybe this is just me critiquing the way the film presented the concept, but like I feel like there should have been more signs. A little bit more off the bat, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or something. Especially with the type of setup they had with that film where they were a very close family unit kind of thing and there wasn't a lot of distance between the characters. I guess it was just speaking to her level of like mental breakdown. And it was yeah. it, it was easy enough for that for that entity to like mm, to, to latch to, on to that. To latch on. Yeah, use that you, as an excuse. You yeah. know what this reminds me of too, which is again, it's like classic Andrew making consp- comparisons to things that probably I shouldn't juxtapose necessarily, but it's like what we're describing in this insidious movie is very similar to the same premise of like a biological entity in a movie like The Thing. It takes mm. over something and it mimics it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mimic- it can yeah. be convincing to an extent, but it doesn't. It can't be a hundred percent that person. Mm-hmm. But like through its blood, through whatever, it has memories. It has enough to kind of get by. And yeah, it's the same sort of idea with this taking over of uh of the dad figure in the movie i'm already forgetting his name but but it's kind of the same thing Mm -hmm. and it almost makes you wonder it's like i mean yeah it's like i I don't even know obviously this is the spiritual version of that Mm -hmm. yeah both very dark yeah exactly Hmm. what other well did you have any favorite moments from these movies at all like anything that really stood out to you otherwise like beyond just the 
obvious, I guess, but... I just love all the, uh, the, the questions that we've got out of it, for sure. And yeah. I like the implied horror rather than it being just, like, straight up right in your face. Oh, yeah. Where it's just in the shadows, in the in the whatever, other than obviously like the straight up facial views of the the woman in black, if you whatever you want to call her, his mm-hmm. his his biggest fear. There's definitely some. She's seen in like white that. too. A woman in white. It, it's black and white. The right? nun like in the other franchise, I think, is scarier. The yeah. Figure, the figure of uh, oh, what's the name Not of Magool, that demon? That was the other. That's sinister. Yeah, that's sinister. Oh, the the the, the defiler, the profane, the Marquis of Snakes. What was his name? Ugh, and like she's an... yelling it at him in that movie. I know your name. Like, <laughs> That's like, like the most important part of yeah, that. Like, like, can't remember. <laughs> oh, needs a name tag, I guess. Yeah. Do you want to just, again, you guys, we're not going to go too, too wild with uh, Film Fridays here. But again, we had, to, we had to wrap up Halloween because, honestly, Amber's still been watching <laughs> Halloween Michael Myers <laughs> movies in November here while she's multitasking yeah I, I like to throw in a horror movie in the background <laughs> you know kind of tough to do a real analysis of a movie like that for its paranormal elements or whatever unless you want to just speculate on him never ever dying but that's too mm, simple <laughs> the summation of all of that is just he is evil incarnate <laughs> so sure. he is the embodiment of pure evil ergo he can never die because it's just so pure at this point there is no humanity left in michael right but that's right. that's the in a nutshell of uh-huh. the one one sentence thing the i actually f- really enjoyed re-watching a lot of those ones i know you watched a couple with me but there was a few like the tyra banks one oh my gosh that's just so laughable and i didn't actually realize paul rudd was in one of them too he was from like the 1996 one which was really intriguing because Sexiest he actually comes alive. back as the kid from the original one that yes. she was babysitting right which is pretty cool in my mind i was like boom i love that kind of stuff i just i'm a huge geek for that kind of yeah that whole series but yeah no i won't get too far into that one because maybe we'll save it for next year one thing i will mention though maybe unless you want to get into Pumpkinhead, but i you just totally teed up the idea of blood and memory just in that last little part you're talking about there mm-hmm. we started watching uh, dracula Oh, yeah. So we've just watched the first part. So we've got two more parts to get through. But that was brilliant. Let me just say. Really good. Really, really fantastically done. Just beautiful, really. And I love... It's asking, again, that that, uh, nun character, the main... Was it not Teresa? But she's actually a... um, She's part of the Van... Van Helsing family. Oh, yes. Yeah. They lump that in. Yeah, yeah which is pretty cool. Right. I, I love that. But she's asking so many intriguing questions. I love her character in particular. So I think that should be one that we actually pursue for a future Film Friday. 100% going to cover that for a Film Friday. And I think mm-hmm. we should do it in conjunction with a uh, an episode on vampires. Because we haven't yeah. actually done that on mm-hmm. the show, no. surprisingly. And, it's, and then that might lead into a series on the Count of St. Germain. <laughs> that, that would be a sense, natural actually. progression. That would be a natural progression. We've been chatting about that one, too. So Okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, that's let's do that. That sounds good. Yeah. Pumpkinhead. <laughs> Pumpkin not, not, not Andrew's best transition, but Pumpkinhead. This was a film I had never seen. And yeah, me neither. Su- kind of surprising because no. 1988, we love 80s films. Mm-hmm. You know, the name sounds so, like, cult classic-y and, like, super gimmicky, but it wasn't really like that. Uh, it was better than I expected. So Pumpkinhead, 1988, obviously, uh, American horror series, 
Uh, it centers on this strange demon-like entity who attacks whomever is, uh, whoever, um, Basically brings it to life yeah. and summons it to do whatever they want it to do. Exactly. It's, it's exacting revenge. It's a classic revenge plot movie. A classic revenge <laughs> With plot. a supernatural element to it. Right. So I went into it thinking that this creature was going to be kind of like of the earth, like a pumpkin monster. Mm-hmm. Like literally have the head of a pumpkin and or something similar and have yeah. some, you know some some powers and skills that were it, it With did a name like pumpkin head you'd imagine there would be a pumpkin and, for and it and it didn't no so not to no it was much more like alien so it did it looked very much like the creature from from yeah from the original alien series so weird kind of tall with weird crooked legs the mouth thing too dripping, like the whole head constantly and dripping then, saliva and and very alien like yeah but i still thought like the premise and the concept was 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 fascinating where it's like again you make a blood offering to something that's never explained and i think that's the best part of this which allows it to like keep going it's like what are you making a blood offering to is this adjacent to almost like the stories of the jersey devil where it was like this thing was hmm. like a born creature that's not meant to exist and it was maybe slain and buried out in these backwater bogs of like yeah. louisiana or whatever the hell they are in this movie and then you can access this thing now mm-hmm. it's kind of got a jersey devil kind of a vibe to it yeah. yeah. It kind of reminded me of like a mandrake too, the way that it's like buried and it looks very gnarled and it does look very close to the earth when when it's like first brought out. It looks like right. an old an old tree or something or like you know what I mean? Like a desiccated, dried up, like obviously well, no, like, like a mandrake, you that's perfect. Yeah. Doesn't it sque- mm. I think it's there's a squeal, I'm pretty sure. Is there a squeal when it first I... comes back to life and it goes like because it's like <laughs> back to life again? And it just that's like the mandrakes from Harry Potter. <laughs> Whale in a way. Except if you heard the scream of a mandrake, you would die instantly. Or be well, turned to stone or something like that. I can't remember. I think it's just die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You can't steal the basilisk's fatal. power. The basilisk turn, turns things to stone. Mandrake just, you know, has its own thing going on. Yeah. Fatal but this squeals. did have a mandrake-esque kind of, kind of feel to it. But yeah. Pumpkinhead, got to finish that uh, series as well. I don't really have too, too much to say on it other than... It's just kind of like it's basically Halloween, but with a pumpkin head, because it's just a creature stalking a bunch of teenagers and massacring them. Yeah, ruthlessly. Right. And but you do get the added element again of well, I wouldn't really color Halloween as a revenge plot by any means, but this is like very cut and dry. I'd say where it's very simple, not a lot of characters. You get the classic like asshole character that is like, you know, the, the, the pot stir, the guy that's going to be the antagonist for the whole thing. Yeah. And then you get all the, the classic, the, the helpless teenage girls and then the, the noble sort of guy that's trying to do the right thing. And again, yeah, some of the deaths are pretty cool though. Like I liked that. I liked the gore. That was one good thing about this I series. Was, I was in. I was definitely into straight the from gore. the beginning too. It's like a. It's a fast start because you get the recollection. I think from like the 1950s, where he's remembering as a child his first encounter with the supposed legend of the pumpkin head. Sees it out the window, spearing yeah. a guy in the chest. Yeah, yeah. And we don't get any context of that. We don't understand why that guy's running. Who set Pumpkinhead on him? How yeah. Pumpkinhead ends up back in this weird like 
how would you call it? It's like a knoll, a knoll, a hill. It's like a weird hill slash it's, like old tree trunk slash graveyard type setting type yeah, thing. Yeah, and it's a it's pumpkin like, patch. Like there's pumpkins everywhere. And I guess that's sort of the, yeah, it wasn't I guess. pumpkins? I don't recall a lot of pumpkins, but I do recall I a lot of pumpkins. I don't recall a lot of pumpkins. <laughs> I don't recall any pumpkins, to be honest. <laughs> there's a distinct lack of pumpkins. Did I just want there to be, there to be pumpkins so bad that I'm remembering We're just putting them there in pumpkins. our heads. I think so. Like even in my head, I have distinct pumpkin vicious like jack-o'-lantern in my head like yeah like eating people and I'm, am i like misconstruing like yes. attack of the killer tomatoes with this pumpkin movie yeah. probably i mean i do <laughs> like it when nature vegetables can be a part of the vengeance yeah it just wasn't as pumpkiny as i wanted it to be yeah i was expecting some vine spearing you yeah. know what i mean like it shoots out a a really hard nub of the top of the pumpkin, right? And it just spears a guy. Or that would be kind of cool, that yeah. Been, that would have been interesting. Huh. Yeah. And obviously that sort of plays into the idea of like, well, what can be manipulated and controlled in nature? It's very much like that X-Files episode with the uh, the orchard where there was yeah. sort of like... The roots was, and the trees. and the... the roots and the trees communicating with one another and being protective of the landscape. Yeah. Right. And protective of the boy, too, because they're ultimately trying to come to his aid by mm-hmm. removing his father and sucking him into the, the mud swamp pit. Right. Down into, <laughs> the, into the, yeah, into the, uh, the tree underworld dimension, perhaps. Definitely otherworldly <laughs> dimensions uh, in It Chapter 2, but It Chapter 2 oh, man. sucked. It really did. Like, we want your guys' hot takes on this, because this is our hot take. We did not like it hot take is that it was hot garbage that's andrew's yeah. hot take i actually disliked it that much okay those special effects were stupid they it, were so ridiculously overdone and just like scary not at all scary yeah it was just like a lot we were literally just like like watching with like kind of my mouth half open being like is really though like, I, I honestly is... think 13 year old me could watch that and be and be 100 percent totally cool and i was afraid mm-hmm. of clowns mm-hmm. like it was just that predictable yeah even the beginning like you said like it was just totally like i did not like that opener with uh the fair scene and the guy getting beat up and thrown in the river it's just unnecessary comment the whole homophobic thing where it's like it i I don't think that was in the movie it just didn't tie back to any of the other characters or sorry in the movie what i'm talking about in the book no as far as i'm aware i can't remember that in the book but i I just think, yeah, you're right. It totally took it to a different level as far as like, oh, like it just it just puts the, a bad taste in your it mouth. It just set the vibe of it where it was like, like when you watch like American History X or something. It's like you know what you're getting into with that movie. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's gonna you're gonna feel not great. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And it just it, it it is what it is. You know what you're getting. And that's sort of like how they teed it up. It was like and, you teed it up with this feeling where it's like, huh, is this a fun, fun, interesting horror movie about an interdimensional clown? Because mm-hmm, I don't feel like that. <laughs> no, it was way more serious. But I get maybe like I was trying to like give them a little bit of room with that when we first started the film because I was like, okay, maybe they're just trying to provide more commentary on the the spectrum of vulnerabilities that Pennywise preys on, ultimately. Right, But yeah. then there was no follow-through with all of that, and it was just kind of confusing. And just the friggin', the sheer length of that film was so unnecessary. It was so long. It was, just it really was long. ridiculous. Like, I'm sorry. So there was a lot of just really predictabilities about it. Like, even the characters themselves just seemed to kind of... 
the first the first movie did a pretty good job of of painting mm-hmm. kind of a um, a well rounded picture, I'd say, of the situations and whatever. And then the second one just seemed like it was a lot of just like cop outs or something, and just a lot of just cliche type stuff. Well, they literally had Pennywise as a giant crab spider entity. Yeah. It's like, hey, what's everyone afraid of? Spiders. Let's make it a giant clown spider. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, really appreciate that. Scary. It's just not scary. It's it like, was just kind of dumb. That's yeah. Harry Potter. All of a sudden, it's like, where's Ron? Where's Ron Weasley? You got to battle a big giant monster now. It's, it's huge. Where <laughs> yeah. the wands at? Bust it yeah. out. Like, because it's at that point, it's not that demon is now, or whatever this thing is, is now not even trying that hard anymore. It's like mm. literally, like I'm not going to try to terrify you. Uh, you're just scared. So here I am. I'm a giant yeah. spider clown. Yeah. There you go. Let me say, Bill Hader too was kind of disappointing in that movie. Mm. Bill. Just gonna say it. Not his fault. He was given the lines. He was... They weren't that funny. It, it just, just wasn't delivered that well. You know mm. what, guys? We're not here to just be negative Nancys on Into the Portal because that was the only real letdown of the season, I would yeah. say. Mm-hmm. We really, really had a good time with getting getting scared by a lot of these movies and just yeah. intrigued and having the, uh, the questions that we've posed throughout this whole episode, like, come up watching... Insidious for me kind of being the main the main one for that mm-hmm. because it, it just touches on so many things that I mention on this show endlessly. The ideas of interdimensionality and entities manifesting as different things, whatever they are able to or choose to if they're in the right position or whatever. And it is going, yeah, kind of like growing off that point, the idea of that being related to the perception and the epistemology or like the way of knowing of the individual perceiving it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How it's like almost like a two-way mirror. Yeah. It almost, it makes me think of the idea of like, are we even seeing the same colors as right. people? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, if this entity is projecting this certain type of energy and us on the receiving end are perceiving that energy in a totally different way than what that energy maybe means for it to be, or if they even, if it can even have an intention, you know what I mean? Or if right. it is just existing and just, yeah. oh, there's so many layers to this. It's so all much. so fascinating. Absolutely. And just to go all the way back to the very beginning of the episode with some of the dubious looks Amber was giving me in regards to my landscape dome of, yeah. of energy stuff storage and these types of things. Well, I never heard of this, like, in relation well, to Victoria and all this stuff. Like, I... It's, I mean, it's not just in relation to Victoria, but it's like the argument can be made about a number of different places around the world. And in broad strokes, I guess it's in reference to essentially a few different things. One of them being the stone tape theory or ideas adjacent to this type of idea, which is, is essentially the speculation that, like, ghosts... Uh, hauntings, you know, sounds, smells, the, the, the cold spots, cold spots, the Partridge Creek monster. These types of things are manifestations that are brought about by recordings in stone, hmm. uh, in different, in different mineral compositions, in different objects around the earth. And one of the things we've referenced before of this hmm. is, of course, crystal structures, crystals, and very much some pseudoscience involved with that, where people believe they have healing properties or there's you know, you can use them as different um, communication uh, apparatuses for different dimensions or spirits or whatever. Hmm. Obviously, some crystals are used for literal information storage in technology, computers, different things like this. Limestone, as one of the most common, prominent, prevalent, like sedimentary rocks in the world, is the root of a bunch of crystal structures like calcite, dolomite, 
uh, Agate, Ag- Agate, however you say mm. that, just to sort of name a couple. So that's what I was getting mm. at, this idea of almost a massive information storage or massive area where there's different levels and contexts of where a spirit could remain. There could be a uh, something trapped in time, like the Partridge Creek monster, or like Lizzie, who keeps on fixing the same bath mat over and over and over. Maybe these are the reasons why. It's, hmm. it's physical-based, and the structure itself of the Empress does have limestone components, the same with a lot of the other buildings. In well, I have questions beyond questions, but, like, a few that pop up initially for me would be, like, if that is the case and the idea that objects and, and materials such as limestone and stuff like that could contain this type of information or resonances, I guess, yeah. be like... My first question is, how is that imprinted into the stone? Right. My second question is, how is that tapped into? Like, is there certain frequencies, resonances, like, you know, different sorts of things being, not exacted through them, but basically penetrating through and almost like a projector. Yeah. Literally like a projector. Right. Or like, I'm trying to even think of ways I'd have to look into more of this in particular, but even what you were saying, mentioning with crystals and technology storage and that type of thing, uh, information storage and computers and stuff like that. Like, do they, they, they use like lasers and stuff like that, don't they, to access that? Like, how does that all work, really? <laughs> Good question. You know what I mean? Like, a, yeah, yeah. How, we, do you, how do you access, like even going to the whole idea of these amazing crystal skulls, right, that supposedly existed and stored ancient uh, technology and information, supposedly. Right. Like, how would they have accessed that? Like, how do you, do you have to do it where you basically surround them with the stones, like Stonehenge or something, in order yeah. to tap into it? Like, how do you get I th- into I, it? I think like, it, it would be, f- yeah. Like, that's confusing fre- me. It's, it's the, that, that, there lies the intangibles, right? It's frequency-based or some, something that we don't have sitting here talking about it, like mm. the ability to access whether it's creating some sort of a frequency that opens up something to like have that communication. Right. Yeah. And that reminds me of stuff we talked about. And like, I think it was, uh, Oh, I can't remember the episode, but it was like ancient Greek technology where they allegedly had some crazy acoustic yeah. mechanism to like levitate objects and manipulate mm-hmm. things. And it's like, it's sort of adjacent to that mm. potentially like the ability to act. Yeah. Again, like, yeah. How does it get imprinted in the stone? How does it then, how is it then accessed from the stone? Is it completely accidental if that mm-hmm. if that is the case? Like, let's just say that is happening. We don't know how or why. Yeah. But if that is happening, why do these apparitions sometimes just, what, exit this storage apparatus to be then seen and then re-return into it again? Or like, is like it a, almost like a, like a blast of energy causes it, again, like I'm picturing like in my head almost projection style say there's a wave of energy being projected or emitted from a certain source or a certain, or it just happens to like, cause you know, the world is round. Like maybe it goes in circles. It's constantly just like finding new um, currents and new, like, you know, ley pathways. Lines. Hitting on the ley lines. Oh gosh. I know here I am. I'm all oh, this sort of science. Oh, yeah. But no, I, yeah, that is very intriguing to think about and discuss, but it's, yeah. it's, it's fun to speculate on, you know what I mean? Because it's, it, it makes you wonder if like a place like Victoria or Vancouver Island mm-hmm. is almost just a real thin layer. It's, it's like some serious Ghostbusters stuff where it's like, mm. it could just open it all <laughs> yeah. up. You know what I mean? Like from like, the clouds kind the, of thing. Yeah, like all of a sudden it's like, you got, you got the freaking the, the 18 story, uh, state puff marshmallow man coming down the streets <laughs> of government street. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Who's to say? Who's exactly. to say? Being Who trapped say? into the landscape of Vancouver Island. Exactly. Well, on that note, we are curious if anyone here listening has ever seen any such things that we are discussing today. Any specters, any shadow persons, elementals. We love to hear your stories and encounters. So if you do have any in particular you'd like to share with us, reach out with your story. We would love to discuss it with you. Mm-hmm. If you're open to sharing it with our listeners, we would love to do a, one of those type of episodes as well. Hey, Absolutely. It's just all fascinating to us. So we love to just gather more information, I guess. More data, the better, right? And more yeah. anecdotes, the better. And Definitely. especially if anyone from the Victoria area is listening, they'll be exp- particularly intriguing but of course we have so many listeners from around the globe that we love to hear stories from there's so many people that inspire us every day when they do reach out whether it's a review whether it's a a simple comment on a facebook post or instagram or message like an ig message or whatever you know we we love to hear it all so yeah, make sure you follow us on the socials here. We're all active on our Insta. Um, not so much on the Twitter these days, but a little bit. Hey, I'm we, we like to, yeah, no, we like to try and keep up to that. And yeah. of course, our uh, Facebook group, uh, join us there on the forum there. Yeah. So it's just at Into the Portal Podcast for Instagram, yes, at yes. Into the Portal Podcast for Facebook, Into the Portal One on Twitter, Into the Portal uh, on TikTok, even though I still haven't gotten around to that yet. <laughs> And uh, if you haven't yet, please help us out and leave a five-star rating and review for Into the Portal on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And if you send us in a screenshot of that, we would love to mail you some paranormal stickers and and things like that. Or or a patch. Or a patch, yes. We have Into the Portal patches now that are, like, really sweet. Yeah. And don't forget, if you feel like something, uh, if you feel like it's something you could benefit from, we highly recommend checking out our sponsor, BetterHelp.com, with the link in the show notes. And finally, massive thank you to our producers, Adam Kellums, Nightwing, Kitsune, Jackson Greenberg, and Molly the Dog. We couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you so, so much. And thank you to all of our patrons, all of our other Patreon supporters as well. You guys are amazing. And uh, thank you to all of our our listeners. Thank you guys for being here with us. Mm -hmm. Until next time, on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.